Hi, everybody. Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. I'm your hostess, Lori Adams-Brown, and this is our immigration series. Welcome to episode eight. I want to tell you about Anchor because it's what I use to record these podcasts. Why do I use it? Number one, it's free. Number two, it's simple. I don't have a lot of tech skills, but I don't need to because Anchor does a lot of the work for you. And as you know, many of you who know, I'm a career woman. I do this as a hobby on the side in my free time, and I love my kids and my family, and I don't want it to take more time than it needs to. (laughs) So thank you, Anchor, for that. It's the creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And so they also distribute it for you anywhere you hear podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the different ones. You can make money from it if you choose to with no minimum listenership, and it's got everything you need to make the podcast in one place. So I would encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. My guest today is Lisa Rodriguez Watson. She's a friend I met many years ago, maybe 20-something years ago when we were getting our master's degrees in um, Northern California. And uh, she is just an amazing thought leader. She was recently named the National Director for Missio Alliance. And if you're not familiar with that organization, please look it up. They are just uh, an organization that helps the church in the United States and all of North America um, work through some of the current issues facing our society. She's very passionate about biblical justice. She's going to obviously talk to us today about immigration. She is the daughter of a Cuban-American immigrant, and I'm sure she'll dig into that part of her story. Um, she has lived among and loved immigrants in many parts of the world. In Fresno, California, for a while, she and her husband, Matt, um, are currently in the D.C. area. Um, both pastors in the area at the same church and just, you know, on a daily basis uh, and how it is in urban America, just encountering all kinds of different immigrants from different countries around the world. But she's also lived abroad um, a few times. She lived in Africa for a while with her family. And she also earlier in life lived in Albania and worked with refugees during that time. So she brings a lot of passion to this conversation, both on a personal level with her own family and also just for those that she knows. But in particular, she's going to help us dig into some of the reasons her faith um, is a really huge part of why she feels compelled to be an advocate and a voice for immigrants here in the United States of America and in other parts of the world. You are in for such a treat today. She's just an amazing person, very articulate, so pay attention, take notes, and I'm sure she'll point you to some great resources that you can look up after this show. Welcome to the show, Lisa Rodriguez Watson. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lori. Thanks for being on our show today. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Well, um, I we're doing this immigration series, and when I think about immigration, I think about you because I know that you have been very active in this whole conversation, and you're a really great thought leader in this area, and you've been a real advocate for immigrants, both in the U.S. and globally in different ways. So um, why don't you give a little introduction to yourself, who you are, and what you do? 
Sure. Thank you. Uh, so I currently live in Washington, D.C., and I am on the pastoral staff team of Christ City Church. Um, my everyday job, I have the privilege of being the national director of Missio Alliance, uh, which is a new role for me, and I'm loving it. Um, let's see. I, I am the daughter of a Cuban immigrant. My dad came to the United States when he was 10 back in 1961. And so um, this this sort of connects with me personally as part of my story. Um, I grew up bicultural, biracial. Um, and so this, it, it matters to me for those ways, for, in those ways. Yeah, I I love it because I, I think that it's so important to hear the stories of a like a second generation immigrant and how that's impacted your life and the lives of so many here in the United States. And I know that you also spent some time abroad. Um, so I'd love for you to talk about like how, how you have found yourself being an advocate for immigrants here in the US and globally, and maybe even just describe in your own words what's going on with immigration at the moment. Yeah, sure. Um, I think I'll start, I guess maybe chronologically, besides the fact that I'm the daughter of an immigrant family, um, when I was called into ministry a number of years ago, um, I spent a, a summer in Albania during the Kosovo crisis, um, I guess is what they would call it. Uh, and and it was then that I, I worked with refugees that had left um, Yugoslavia, had left Kosovo and were in Albania. So I was actually in Albania doing um, work with refugees. And it was it was such a a profound um, time. I hadn't ever done anything like that. I had spent some time abroad, but had never really worked directly with refugees in crisis situations like that. And, um, you know, what a privilege to get to be a part of the story of families who are in the worst circumstances of their life and to be able to provide a little bit of relief. And actually what was wonderful for me was I, I was able to come alongside and work with Kosovar refugees who were serving their own communities. And I was just like a warehouse hand, you know, like go get me a box of diapers, go get, you know, we need three packs of this. Um, and I was able to, to just kind of come alongside the work that they were doing for their own people. Um, I heard stories of families that, you know, tragic loss, I mean, unfathomable pain um, and and came away, actually came away thinking, well, when the country opens back up, which it did during the course of my time in Albania, when Kosovo opens back up, um, I want to spend a couple of years there and I want to I want to be a part of the rebuilding, you know, however that can happen as an American in in a in non-American context and just go and support um, the story of rebuilding in any way that I can. So that was kind of my first intersection um, abroad with refugees. Um, coming back to to the States, uh, and then I began to do some some development of sort of like my own ethnic identity in, in new ways, um, being bicultural and biracial. It's, you know, it's not uncommon to, to hear stories of, well, you do fit into two cultures, but you don't fit into either one of those perfectly. Mm -hmm. And certainly that um, that was part of the experience that I had had. Um, so I began to really just ask the Lord, what, you have made me me for what reasons? You know, there are, there are 
there are a thousand things that are unique about me. Um, certainly being the, you know, the daughter of a Cuban immigrant is one of them. Why, you know, what's the significance of that? And is there a unique way that I can contribute? Uh, that was part of, of during a time when I was actually living um, alongside lots of immigrants in the Central Valley of California. And so there was this intersection of my own ethnic identity development. And then this question of what does the Bible have to say about how we're to care for immigrants? Um, and as I began to explore that, you know, and ask hard questions about what's life like on the farms? How do families sustain? Because I was running a, um, a tutoring program for children in my community at the time and their parents and their aunts and uncles were on the farms working and they would, you know, and they just kind of had to figure life out. They had guardians for sure, but, um, but the support at, in their homes was, was, was different than what I grew up with for sure. Yeah. Um, and I began to really wonder, what does the Bible have to say about how we're to care for immigrants? Um, and that began that began me on the journey, really, of of um, why I care about immigration. Um, because what I discovered was um, there's this beautiful meta narrative. Nicholas Wolterstorff has um, coined this phrase, uh, "the quartet of the oppressed." Mm -hmm. um, and we see so many times throughout the scriptures that God says to care for the widow, the poor, the orphan, and the stranger, or the yep. alien, or the immigrant, and and so, um, so I really found just this, this new story that God was telling of how to care for his people and how to live faithfully for justice um, in the scriptures in a way that I just somehow hadn't seen mm -hmm. uh, previously. That's so beautiful. And I, I just, I love that right off the bat, you're bringing in how your faith has impacted your desire to work with immigrants and be an advocate for them. And how so much of your own story plays into it. And I do think that those commands to care for the immigrant are there for a really particular reason and multiple reasons. And um, I think some of those reasons are, uh, if we could shift our minds to thinking about it, would be along the lines of what we have to benefit in a nation where we get to receive them. So right. I would love for you to talk some about what are some areas that you have found to be beneficial for your own life about welcoming immigrants, whether they're Cuban American, like your family or from other places, what, how has your life been personally enriched by immigrants? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think before I jump into the answer on that, Lori, I think if you don't mind me just saying, I, so many times, you know, immigration, it can tend to be a, a political debate in our country. And mm -hmm. oftentimes, even in the in the faith communities and Christian contexts, which is my primary context, um, we find that that it's not the conversation is actually not that different, sadly, from the conversation that's happening in the rest of the world, because what people want to really talk about is what's it going to cost us? What's it going to cost us? You know, mm -hmm. and and we forget to ask the most important question of what are the benefits? And so yeah. I'm so glad that you start with that question because it's, you know, it's significant and there are so many benefits to having immigrants in our lives. Um, for me personally, you know, there is this, <laughs> there's this beautiful reminder of, of joy um, that I get when I, when I'm around immigrants. Um, there's this like, 
so it's a, just a beautifully pronounced um, gratitude, a sense of gratitude uh, for the opportunities, for the things that even that I would perceive as really difficult and, and certainly that, that are difficult for them. There is still this sense of um, it's not entitled. There's no entitlement there. Yeah. There is a... Um, a, a beauty of like, man, I'm just, I'm just grateful to be here. I'm grateful for the opportunities that I have. Um, you know, I, I'll tell a story. My grandmother, I was having a conversation with her one day and um, her youngest sister was, um, had worked for the Cuban government and, um, and then eventually decided to defect. Um, and she so we were sharing the story of, of how that happened and what was going on. And I said, Abuela, I said, so she just left her neighborhood one day and, and acted as if she would be back from, from a work trip. Mm. Um, and she just left and never came back. She couldn't have taken anything with her but a suitcase. Yeah. And she said, Lisa, that's every single one of us. Wow. We all came with just a suitcase. Mm. And you know, I don't know why, why had I not thought of that? It somehow struck me, but that's the story of my family. And yet there's never been a time where they have just said, gosh, I, I regret being here. I regret the decision to come. There's always this profound thankfulness and, um, and a, a spirit of generosity, even more than thankfulness. It's a mm. spirit of generosity that I think, boy, we would, you know, we would do well to learn from, um, yeah. as, North Americans as <laughs> Americans. And um, I, I think that's probably the one thing that I think of that comes to my mind is just a, a joy and a generosity of spirit. So when you think of an immigrant, how would you sort of like sum that up and like um, your thoughts about an immigrant? I know there's a lot of like you said, it's very politicized in the U.S. and even, you know, places in Europe and Australia and other places at the moment where there's sort of this, you know, political um, conversation around immigrants and people may have a variety of concepts of what that means. But for you personally, when you think of an immigrant, what do you think of? Yeah, I think, you know, there are quite a lot of categories politically of immigrants, there's refugees, and then there's immigrants, and there's asylees, and there's all kinds of, um, of statuses and, and types of immigrants. Um, the most basic definition, I think, is someone who has come from a country into a country not their own. Um, and I think that that's, that's, you know, that captures all of the different types of immigrants. Um, I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but that's what I, you know, that's what I think of is, you know, it doesn't matter what, what, what way necessarily, what way they come, do they come as an asylum, do they come as a political refugee or any kind of refugee, but they come from a place um, for some reason uh, that, that usually has to do with tremendous hardship, tremendous hardship. Um, into a, a place where they are looking for for new opportunity for something greater, either for themselves or for their families. Um, and I think that that's you know that is the other thing that's so common among the immigrant story is it's either 
trying to just escape a, a life and death situation or trying to create a new beginning for, uh, for themselves and for their families. Um, most of the people that I have um, come across either at the border or in my neighborhoods um, in, and even my own family story, it was the life that, that we had where we come from was not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And we've got to have some other opportunity um, to, to live a life that, that includes flourishing, not just survival or you know, the worst option of, of death. Yeah. You know, it's just a reminder, like when you gave your definition of immigrant and just and, and how broad that is, um, you know, anytime we walk under an immigration sign in an airport, we're, we're some version of an immigrant, whether we're calling ourselves an expat and it sounds a little more fancy or, um, or whether we're trying to get there by any means possible because of the desperation that we feel and maybe on a boat that wasn't the best journey across an ocean that was pretty scary and we're just lucky to be alive reaching ashore um and you know just the the way in the united states even puritans came on a dangerous journey to arrive here in a land that wasn't their own so whether if we're not full-blooded um native american <laughs> in right. the u.s most of us have a story of immigration either recently or a few generations back in our families and i think that's a really good reminder and in light of that, um, you know, you talked about the different ways that people can immigrate, at least into the United States. You know, we have a, our system allows for H-1B visas, like what we have here, like in Sunnyvale, there's a lot of people in tech on the H-1B visa, which has currently been in the news um, because of the current administration trying to change some of that. Um, you can come in through like a spouse visa, a student visa, which also was recently um, in jeopardy at the beginning of this fall semester for a lot of different students at Stanford and different places around here. There's asylum right. seekers, you know, there's just so many ways to, at least in the United States to immigrate. And so I'd love for you to share your thoughts on um, just our current immigration policies and processes and what you think about that. Yep, um, I, I lament the ways that um, this administration has handled refugees, immigrants, um, a variety of statuses of immigrants. And you're, you're exactly right. I mean, even students didn't know what their status was gonna be. I have a friend, in fact, um, who lives here in the city and um, she was here on a work visa and is trying to get a student visa. And because of all of the, just the upheaval, um, it's she's likely to have to return to Madagascar. And she mm. doesn't have any roots in Madagascar. It just happens to be where her family was from. Wow. Um, and, and it's devastating. It's absolutely devastating. The, the ridiculous um, cut back on the number of refugees that we're allowing into our country. You know, Lori, I'm, I'm not gonna pull any punches. I just think it's shameful that yeah. we've chosen um, to move in this direction. We, we have the resources. There is, without question, um, the refugee program is one of the safest. We can afford it. We have space for it. You know, it's like refugees who come into the country are very, 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 very low um, in terms of, of committing crimes. Like, th there is no reason, really, why we should cut back that program. 
um, so severely. Uh, so I, I think um, how we've then now with this, with a, a new border process and a new border status, um, you're not allowed to come anymore and claim asylum and be let into the country. Yeah. Now you have to wait on the other side of the border, which is putting people in such dangerous, dangerous situations. I've been on the other side of the border and have seen these folks who who are waiting for a court date mm -hmm. um, and they're just living in whatever way they can. And some of them are intense. Some of them have, um, you know, have more permanent or semi-permanent housing opportunities, but it's different all along the border. I was just in one city. And so um, I think it's a tragedy. We, we really do have the opportunity to create a system that works for everybody, that works for our economy, that works for our communities, um, and that works for our neighbors and mm -hmm. our neighbors to the south of the border. Um, and, and I do think it's a tragedy. It's a missed opportunity for us to have some of the greatest minds in the world come to our country on the H-1B visas. It's, it's a missed opportunity to have the kind of labor that would, um, would help our market flourish um, and it's a missed opportunity to practice hospitality and to mm -hmm. be generous. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty tragic. Yeah, I, I agree. And as somebody who has been so welcomed as an immigrant in so many nations throughout most of my 45 years, um, I also find it very shameful and a huge missed opportunity. Um, I myself, I disagree with you. I think immigrants add a lot to my life here in the Silicon Valley, um, I would, I, most people that I know are either first or second generation immigrant here. And they just are, I love all the different cultures and languages and foods and all the many things that come along with immigration in a place that's an urban environment where you can just see it like all the nations on display. It just reminds me a little bit of heaven and I just really personally enjoy it. Um, yeah. and, and even the diversity within the you know socioeconomic situations like i you know I, I grew up around a lot of poverty in venezuela and and it's certainly gotten worse even since you know the 80s and 90s when i was growing up there but i learned some of my best life lessons from people who were hustling and trying to make life work and being resilient and creative and innovative in in the midst of poverty and i wouldn't trade any of that my my faith is stronger because of that and, um, and I know a lot of our immigrants are evangelical Christians that are coming to the U.S., a large percentage of them, and they, they just add so much to our churches and our faith communities. And I, I just personally really benefit from seeing the journeys. Like, I just, I hear the journeys of what people have gone through, especially some of the more recent ones. And there's always a really hard story when it comes to, like you said, immigration. If people have left, it's for a reason. Even if somebody on an H-1B visa that just you know, was living in a family where they just couldn't be free to be themselves and they wanted to come to America and sort of make some more of their own choices. Even that in itself was a situation that for them wasn't sustainable. And yep. and you get inspired when you see people be that courageous and take those kind of risks. It helps us want to take risks when they're presented to us as well and, and know that we can be strong because we can kind of borrow faith from other people. And immigrants are certainly the kind of people I've borrowed a lot of faith from in different times. So, um, I just would like to know, you know, in a practical way, 
what are some of the areas that you are trying to be either an advocate for immigrants or just do work on behalf of them, um, just on a personal level? And then after that, I'd love for you to speak more on if there's any kind of systemic level that you are, would like, you know, are, are involved in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've found um, that I want to follow, <laughs> I want to follow the immigrants who are, you know, who are empowered and are doing the work themselves. They, immigrants actually, they, they have the answers that their community needs. What they need are allies to come alongside and to help amplify their message. And so I've found that um, instead of creating something new that I come alongside their work and, and just support them in the ways that I can when I'm asked, um, I, you know, I have a, a dear friend, Claudette, and, and she's um, a DACA recipient. And so anytime, you know, she says, oh, I'm going to be doing this thing, then I'll, I'll be sure to join her. Um, and then I invite, and then I invite my friends, because the truth of it is, is that in, in evangelical Christian circles, it has not been very common for us to actually engage in the political process. Yeah. I think, especially in my own story, um, I was encouraged not to, in fact, politics, you know, church and state, they shouldn't go together. And, and it wasn't until I really began to do that work of digging into what the Bible had to say and understanding who I was made um, to be and what my unique space in this world was that I realized, oh, if I'm actually going to love my neighbor, then I need to be engaging on this issue. That's what it looks like because Mm -hmm. they're flourishing because they don't necessarily have citizenship. They don't have, you know, legal status in our country. And so if, if they can, if they're going to be able to experience the full flourishing that I can experience, I've got to address those systemic issues. Um, And that is not a natural thing for me. I just (laughs) just want to say that. Like, it took me a very long time to become comfortable with um, engaging power and Mm. engaging political process. Um, It's still, you know, it still doesn't feel like, oh, well, I was born to do this. But that doesn't matter. Um, Mm -hmm. What does matter is is loving my neighbor, is loving the immigrants in my community and standing with them um, and beginning to, to really do the work of justice, uh, yeah. which, which matters so much to God. Um, so, yeah, so I do, I do love to follow the lead of, of my friends who are immigrants and join them in the work that they're doing. Um, and if, if they're not engaged, boy, I, years ago when I lived in Memphis, I, um, I organized a, um, a fasting event and, um, there were some moms in my community who, you know, were just like, oh, well, I, I haven't done this. And, you know, and there was another woman that I was working with from the immigrant community. So she was really doing it. But, um, you know, these women, they just, boy, we haven't fasted in so long. But but we're going to do this because it's for our children. Mm-hmm. It matters for our children. And um, and so getting to, you know, to get to be on the journey with, with those women, with you know, young people from across the country who, who are wanting to, to continue to stay, to have status, um, legal status within our country. I, I just think, yeah, I want to, I want to be about that work. However, I can support it. Um, did you ask in terms of like practical? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, right now, to my knowledge, there's not really any anything in the House or the Senate to be proactive on. I think especially in, in the last four years, um, everything has largely been try and prevent things from getting worse instead of making things better. Yeah. Um, but um, but there's nothing really in the political process right now that I am aware of that we can you know we can get on board with and and I haven't had a I haven't had anything come through sort of in terms of briefings in quite some time so mm-hmm. I may not be a hundred percent accurate on that but I I would say you know even if it's not at the federal level like what's going on locally like in your own communities find out especially during pandemic, what are the ESL resources that are available to your immigrant families through the schools? Um, Because that's one way to really be able to have an impact for families in communities. If Mm -hmm. those resources aren't there, of course, then children fall behind. And as they fall behind, it's just the the outcomes are so much harder. Um, So even if there's nothing happening federally at the moment, then I would say, be sure to check on your local and state levels and see what are some ways that you can support the work of immigrants. Um, yeah. That's awesome. I love that. And it does give us hope that at some point there will be something we can put our <laughs> our voices behind. Um, and it's a reminder to keep praying for those who are in the positions of power just to have open hearts, right? And soft hearts. Um, yeah, that's and, true. Yeah, that's like, a, that's like a huge part of the work. I would say that's one of the big lessons I learned living in Asia when, you know, presidents and politics and different things didn't quite go the direction that would have been helpful. Um, that prayer can do amazing things and we can always do that. Right. (laughs) For sure. And I, and I would say, you know, engaging the political process is not just a political thing. Mm. It's a spiritual thing. And that's one thing that I've learned along the way, right. Is so many of our representatives congressional or in the house, um, they they claim to be followers of Jesus. And so it's an yeah. opportunity for those of us who are Christians to say, your faith compels you mm-hmm. to care for the immigrants. Um, and when I walk the halls of, of any of the buildings here in DC, getting ready to meet with um, a political representative, it's a matter of prayer. I pray before I go in, I pray, mm-hmm. I ask, often I ask, um, the the staff would you like me to pray for you Mm. and then we pray when we leave because Mm. this is the work of god this Mm -hmm. is not just a a political event or a political meeting this is what what god is it's about what god is at work doing so it's such an important thing to remember and um just because you're you're in the halls of power doesn't mean you you know that god is not already there doing the work yeah absolutely i i've heard those same things um, from other people I know that have, that are also advocating within the ranks of our U.S. government along these lines, that so many of our representatives in Congress are, in fact, people of faith, and um, that when we encounter people who have our same faith, then we can certainly quote our unscriptures and remind them and encourage them to follow what we all believe and to be true, um, to love our neighbor well, and you know, the verses that you were talking about earlier about caring for immigrants. And there's a lot of commands in scripture, if we would just pay attention, that would actually make you tremble if you really took them seriously, (laughs) Um, that we really are commanded to take care of them. And so I think that you're doing that in such a beautiful way. So this whole conversation just leads me to this question that I would love for you to answer. And um, it's something I've observed 
Um, I'm just going to say personal experience, so it could be completely off base being in the U.S. for the last year. Um, and that is, especially as I've been involved in spaces around the racial reconciliation conversation since the George Floyd um, situation, I, my one of my observations that I've noticed is the conversation about separation of church and state is much more prominent in the white evangelical spaces that I've been in. And it's much less strict and the boundaries are a lot less strict in um, some of the other not majority spaces that I've been in. And so I think it's a lot of it along the lines of like, is there a difference between, for example, biblical justice and social justice, or are they the same? Are those words interchangeable? Um, because when it comes to engaging politics and the state, um, that, that, that there is a space for biblical justice or social justice to be involved as people of faith. Whereas I think in the maybe dominant culture, some things about immigration don't feel very personal. And maybe some things about, you know, what happened with George Floyd don't feel as personal to some of the white evangelicals. So what would you say to someone who might be listening to our podcast today that may be a white evangelical and has just been like separation of church and state, you shouldn't preach on it, you shouldn't talk about it, you shouldn't get involved in it um, when it comes to especially the area of of immigration? Mm. Yeah, I think, um, well, I would first say you just suspend judgment maybe maybe just for a minute and and you know how like let's consider together how do we reconcile the scriptures of of caring for the immigrants um if if god has commanded us to do that then what does that mean and you know beyond maybe just having a a a clothes closet or teaching esl and you know individual and interpersonal ways um, I mentioned before, really being able to contribute to the whole flourishing, especially for folks who are undocumented, it requires engagement of what what prohibits them from that flourishing, and that is their status. And so, um, and I and I would encourage. Um, folks who maybe just feel like it it has nothing to do with my everyday life to make a friend who is an immigrant um, and and really, you know, and really walk with that person and find out. I think it's so easy to allow it to be about an issue when we don't have people in our lives who are directly impacted by that. so it starts with relationship. Often it starts with relationship. And, and so I would encourage your listeners, anybody who, who feels so disconnected and just doesn't understand why we've got to engage um, to, to build relationships. Um, and, then, and then, you know, really grapple with the scriptures. Certainly we've got to, you know, we've got to be faithful to the words of God as followers. Um, of the Christian faith. And so what does that mean for you and how, um, how do we do that? And then, I mean, I think the, the difference you brought up and mentioned between racial justice and social justice, I mean, sorry, not racial justice and social justice, biblical justice and social justice. I am pretty careful, um, to use the words biblical justice because I think that 
well, at least from where I'm coming from, the reason why I do the work that I do, the reason why I engage in justice is because my understanding of the scriptures is that God is a God of justice. And so in order to follow that God, I get to be about doing the things that are just according to the scriptures. Um, and and I feel like that's a privilege. And, and I think in white evangelical spaces, we talk so often, we're very, very, very fluent and sometimes uncomfortably, um, so with how we steward things like, oh, well, you have to steward your money and you have to steward your time and you have to, you know, there, that stewardship language is pretty familiar to us. And I think that sometimes we forget to ask the question, how do I steward my citizenship? Mm. Um, when I was challenged to think about that, what does it mean for me to steward my citizenship? Um, it kind of revolutionized, like it was like, oh, right, that's another thing that I get to steward. Mm. And I can steward that citizenship on behalf of folks on the underside of power, on behalf of immigrants, mm. on behalf of those who are marginalized in our country. And often I do, um, mm. because that's part of the way that I seek justice. That's part of the way that I influence um, the system is to use my citizenship on behalf of the ones that God cares so deeply about. That's so good. I, I'm going to remember that one. And it's definitely uh, just along the lines of the conversation, um, you know, that some find a little bit controversial, which is this, the concept that anyone has privilege, right? So I, mm. I think that, um, you know, I, I was a, one of my undergraduate degrees was a sociology degree. And we, we definitely kind of talked about the haves and the have nots. And that's like kind of main part of certain social theory. And I know a lot of it is um, very much in the conversation in America right now. But, um, but I think if we're all being honest, there are <laughs> some levels of that that we all carry. And, um, and I think a lot of America would agree that it is a privilege to have a U.S. passport, to be a U.S. citizen. Um, but I don't think very many of us have asked the question, what therefore does that mean now for me? Because, mm -hmm. you know, with this kind of privilege comes a responsibility to be a blessing, not just to be blessed, right? Especially sure. if you're a person of faith. That's a that's a concept we find throughout scripture. We find it in Genesis 12 when, you know, God tells Abraham that he's blessing him to be a blessing and through him all the nations will be blessed. And so that is, um, it's a promise for all nations and we have pretty much all nations coming to the shores of the United States of America. Um, despite the fact that we really have kind of put a shutdown on that, there's still, um, they access different ways through the media and the, the things that we produce digitally around the world. So we definitely have an influence on the nations and it is a privilege. It is, is certainly a privilege in, in this generation to have that for this time. Um, so I hope that our listeners will kind of take that comment <laughs> and uh, chew on that and wrestle with it and ask God to show them what that means for them, for those who are American citizens or from Australia or places that are also um, a position of privilege to invite and welcome. So I, I would love for you to say uh, a little bit about, um, you know, you talked about your own journey and your own family um, and you know, unfortunately, when we look at the asylum situation kind of being shut down, like if your family was trying to get here today, that would most likely not be possible. Um, and, and I know that you talked about just the gratitude that your family and so many immigrants have um, for that. So if there are those among us who are going to maybe reach out to a 
a person and speak to power. Maybe it's a senator that they're going to call or email, or maybe it's um, a way they're going to start praying and fasting, or it's something they're going to write up on a blog post or, or whatever they feel led to do. Um, what are some of the words and phrases that you would encourage people to use as a reason that we want to advocate for, for immigrants? Well, I think one of the things that I've learned is, is, you know, I, I'm a constituent in, you know, in a place of power, whether it's, you know, at the local level or federal level, state level, wherever you are, you have to remember you're a constituent and you don't have to know all the numbers and you don't have to have necessarily all of the right words, although sometimes that does help. Um, what's really valuable um, is that you remind your representatives and their staff that you're a constituent and you do have a voice and that they represent your um that they represent you actually and and then you just begin to tell your story um i care about this because and you name a few reasons and i have a neighbor who is this and my family comes from this kind of heritage or you know i tutor a child who has this kind of background, one of my best friends, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. any story that really, that really connects um, is a great way to, to, to speak to um, folks in power. And, and I think anytime that there's legislation um, that you want to address, then you know a little bit about the legislation, we would like for you to vote in such kind of way on this piece of legislation or we think it's really important for you to consider and you know name that whatever that thing is and and um and so i i guess really in brief lori i think really sharing our own story why this matters to us r reminding legislators and, and staff and representatives um that we're constituents and um and i think it's good to say you know we if 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 we can do this together i would love to be able to you know give you the support on social media i mean it's a bit of a it's a it, i don't want to say it's a bit of a game but there but there is this sort of process that's an exchange there is a bit of an exchange i think that we have to be aware of when we engage our politicians and to say we would really love to be able to show that you you've demonstrated a care for the immigrants in our community um and if you come out in this way we're happy to to tweet about it to you know post it in our whatever social medias or write an op-ed in our newspaper um so those things do matter and they're important um, but they're not the most important actually mm -hmm. when a person is sitting in front um of of the mayor or the governor or whatever the case may be it's um, here's my story. This really does matter to me. I've taken my time out to come and talk to you, and I would really love for you to hear and do whatever is within your power to um, to make this a better place for our immigrant community. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good. I would love if you have any stories of any immigrants that are people that you've heard of or know personally that you feel like are really capture what people need to know about immigrants. Um, that if you would share maybe one of those if someone comes to mind. <laughs> Sure. Um, about a, not quite a year ago, back in um, in January of last year, I went to El Paso and um, spent some time on the other side of the border in Ciudad Juarez. 
Uh, and I, I met a gentleman and his name is Carlos. And Carlos was coming from Guatemala, had made his trip north to the border um, and was an asylum seeker. And his story as is so common in, um, in those circumstances is one wherein um, he was unsafe to stay at home. He had supported a political candidate that was unpopular and um, the candidate's rival threatened his life, actually um, assaulted and harmed pretty badly his brother. And also he was protecting a little girl. Mm -hmm. um, he, he saw an interaction between um, that other person in power and a little girl and he protected her. Wow. And so they came after him. Um, and so he had to leave. And unfortunately, um, Carlos was leaving behind a wife and two sons, wow. um, but it was either leave or die um, wow. and have more members of his family, their safety put in jeopardy. So he left and he came north to the border. Um, he, he has a very, very slim chance of being able to be granted asylum. Yeah. Um, but when I was there, he was still waiting. Um, for his court date and um, and his needs were, you know, I mean, he, he wanted to be able to work, but he was a Guatemalan in Mexico. And so finding work actually is pretty tough to do. Yeah. Um, when, he, uh, when he got to the border or along the way, he had injured his shoulder. So even some of that manual labor that you can sometimes find a day job or an odd job doing um, was especially difficult for him. Um, his wife was pregnant when she left and and she had obviously a very very hard time with the fact that he intervened to protect the life of a little girl mm. um and because that meant that she she basically lost him and he said if it was my own daughter i would have i would have wanted someone to step in yeah and he told me um i found out actually after i left i was still in touch with some some folks who are in touch with him that um his, his wife was pregnant with a daughter. And so oh. he was going to now have um, a daughter in his own family. And um, and I don't know, Lori, this is the tragedy of our situation, of, of these stories that happen over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, what it will take. It, it's so dependent on the judges in particular situations, in particular counties. Um, and and what I would want for Carlos is a place for him and possibly his wife and three now children to come and have a place to work and a place to live that is safe. Um, by my estimation, he, he only was doing good in, in the, the life of that little girl, in his own community. Um, and then he has to put his own life on the line. It, it just, it's... Yeah, it's, it's it's so difficult to grapple with that, that reality, and and I think um, that story again plays itself out a thousand times over and over and over all across along our, our southern border, um, and I think that we have <laughs> we have an obligation to to say we can do better. Mm -hmm. We really can do better as a country, um, and and begin to support 
laws that don't militarize our southern border that would say let's speed up a process so that we can get the Carloses through um, so that they can come so that they can work they can contribute to our society so that their children don't have to endure the same things that that little girl was having to endure so I think I, I, I mean I share Carlos's story because it's just one that's um, fairly recent and and tragic it's heartbreaking and mm -hmm again is happening over and over and over and i think um i think that we could do better as a country yeah i agree and it's just it's heartbreaking because i i know the situation from what i understand when it comes to central americans receiving a judge that would grant them a chance is just incredibly incredibly slim from the immigration lawyers i've talked to and so it really would take a miracle at this point for him. And um, and yet, you know, as a citizen of this nation, I, I just find it shameful because we want a guy like him here, right? A noble man who's going to stand up for little girls. Like, don't we want a nation full of people like that? Um, I certainly do. That would be a wonderful right. place to live. And um, right. so, yeah, I think it all the more reason when we have a chance to help influence on a systemic level of... Uh, a situation that Carlos has literally no voice and no power, no agency to ever change. Um, but we get to be a voice for, for him because of our privilege and the way we are a constituent. I think it's, um, it's a huge opportunity for us that we have a choice to make, right? We can look at it, look it straight in the face, understand it, break our heart along with the heart that's breaking, or we can turn the other way and pretend it's not happening. Um, right. And, and we know which one is the right choice to make, I think. Um, but it does get really complicated for a lot of people. So you've given us a real gift today just to make a lot of things that may not be clear for some to be very, very clear. Um, and I think that's a real gift. I'd also love for you to talk about, um, you know, you have this new space that you're stepping into with Missio Alliance. And, um, you know, are there any ways that your organization is, is leading us in this area? Um, and also any other resources you would point people toward to help them as they're thinking through these things and trying to find resources to, to give them that direction. Sure, yeah, thanks. Yeah, so um, I, I am still fairly new to the role of Missio Alliance. I started uh, kind of late July, and um, one of my hopes is to, I mean, Missio has been around for almost a decade, eight or nine years, and, and there's a really beautiful, you know, work that has already been established there. And I think in this next season, what I hope to come along and do is bolster um, the work that already exists there in really engaging the cultural issues that that happen to be of a systemic nature. So, you know, caring for immigrants, um, promoting racial justice, um, and, and actually also um, really bringing the voices of the global church to um, to the ears of North American Christians, because we do have so much to learn, even if they're not immigrating to our country, which which is a beautiful thing. We still have so much to learn from the global church. Um, and and again, I, I probably didn't mention this earlier, but I think we as Christians have have the opportunity to be formed in new ways that we never would have otherwise been able to have. 
by the immigrants that are coming to our country. Like we get to understand the gospel and what it means to follow Jesus in in new and really beautiful ways um, when we engage with the immigrant community. I think that's so often overlooked. Um, mm. So I wanted to just mention that since it was on my mind. Yeah, um, but in terms of Missio, yeah, I, you know, anytime uh, that immigration is is a live conversation, um, you can expect to, <laughs> to hear from one of our writers about it or hear from me about it, uh, because that's a passion that I bring to the work, engaging um, systemic issues that uh, particularly that um, make it harder for those who are on the margins, harder for the orphans, the widows, um, the strangers and the poor. Uh, because those are the folks that God says, I am just passionate about them. Mm. Um, and then I think, did you ask me one other question? I feel like there was one other thing. That just you any asked resources. Me yeah. So Miss your lines, yeah. other ones. Yeah. So one thing that's just been super, super helpful for me um, is, uh, is a website called the Evangelical Immigration Table. Um, so if folks in, in your audience um, specifically identify as evangelical, it's a wonderful resource. Um, so look them up, Evangelical Immigration Table. So many resources. I have followed them for years. Um, they've helped me on my own journey um, really understand what does God have to say about loving immigrants and then how do I do that in really practical ways, um, both sort of on an interpersonal level in my own community as well as um, you know, on the political level. So that's a, you know, there's actually like bookmarks of 40, 40 verses um, and 40 days of prayer for immigrants. And it's just all kinds of really great stuff on that site that I could point you to. Um, and they will also have updates around any legislation. So, um, you know, I think probably after the election, begin to stay tuned, especially to that site um, for for any political updates or, or things that are coming down the pike, um, either in the House or in the Senate. That's, that's good. Yes, I love them as well. And, um, you know, our mutual friend, Alan Cross, <laughs> um, yes. I had him on the podcast and he's been heavily involved with the, the evangelical immigration table. And I, I just, yes, totally agree with you. That's a great resource for people. So um, if that's new to any of you, please check it out. You'll find it very helpful, very informative. Um, yeah, so I, I just want to say thank you for being on here today. I think you bring such a unique perspective. Um, not only just because your own family has a story of immigration, but also because you, um, as a leader in the faith community, are really stepping out there with a lot of risk and a lot of courage on behalf of those who um, can't speak in the same ways that you can. And um, and I just really want to affirm that I see that you're really, uh, that God is using you to change hearts and change lives. And I think that we're going to see more of that in the near future now that you're um, leading Missio Alliance. It's very exciting. Thank you, <laughs> so Lori. Thanks that's, for being on here. That's so kind. Thank you so much. It's, you know, I mean, everybody, we just walk our journeys, right? We mm. walk out our journeys faithfully. And, and I don't feel like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so special or I have this really like awesome, whatever. It, it certainly, sure, it's a privilege. Mm. Um, but, but I just want to be faithful. I just want to be faithful. And so um, all of the ways that I get to do that in the big things and in the little things, um, that does bring so much joy. Yes, I agree. And I just want to say um, blessings to you in the days and weeks ahead. I know Washington, D.C. can't be an easy place to live in a very polarized election season. But um, yeah, just 
thank you for the work that you do right there in our nation's capital and just being such an influencer and um, and for even just using your voice today to speak to my listeners all around the world. And I, and I hope that God uses the words that you have shared to give people just that courage to do that next step that God's asking them to do, to follow him in whatever way that is, especially in this area of immigration. So thanks, yeah, Lisa. Thanks for having me today, Lori. It's a great, great privilege and joy to get to talk to you. You too. Take care. Bye, Lisa. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Well, I know that Lisa has given us a ton to think about today. She has challenged us to steward our citizenship wherever we are, whether we're United States citizens, Australian citizens, whether we're from New Zealand or Singapore or anywhere in Europe and all over the world where we have immigrants coming to our borders and our shores um, to really consider what it means to steward our citizenship. This is a privilege we have been given to live in the places where God has placed us. And if we live in a nation that is offering opportunities and um, situations to help people flourish in different ways, Lisa has certainly given us a lot to think about today. And also just some practical next steps of what it looks like to be an advocate for immigrants around us who don't have a voice, who don't have the opportunity to speak into the systems and the government where they're trying to make a better lives for themselves and their families. And not only that, but to contribute, as she said, to our economies and, um, and uh, enrich our lives in the various ways where we get to learn so much from them. And I also hope you really paid attention to the phrases that she said around how much we have to learn from the global church. I think she's absolutely right and 100% agree. And um, if you are someone who calls yourself a follower of Jesus and your understanding of scripture and your understanding of the church has been exclusively driven from your own culture, I just want to invite you along with her, her invitation to open up your eyes and your ears to the way church is expressing itself around the world even today. I have been enriched so much from the Asian church, from the Latin American church, from even European and Australian and Kiwi friends that I've known in other countries around the world where I've lived, from African Christians. I have a special friend here in the Silicon Valley who just blesses me on a daily basis, and she's from Nigeria, just the way that she reads the scriptures and um, sends prayers of blessing for, for me over text every single day. It's just really enriched my life. I encourage you, along with Lisa's, Lisa's encouragement, to just lean into that, to listen and to the, the voices of the global church and what they're teaching us about how to be uh, people of faith and parts of our communities of faith and what um, they're challenging us with right now. And if you are a person who doesn't have any faith at all, um, you um, uh, just consider yourself maybe agnostic or atheist, you are certainly 100% welcome into this conversation to also listen to these voices of the global church if you would open your mind and heart to it. I think there's a lot we can learn no matter where we're from. I, I certainly have learned many things from my atheist friends, my agnostic friends, my Buddhist and Hindu and Muslim friends, things that have enriched my life and changed my opinions and changed my mindset on many things. And so I just hope that in this world, a world of difference podcast, um, especially our immigration series, that we can begin to lean into the 
um, the invitation that Lisa is giving us just to, to listen better and to step into the lives of other people and what they walk through for a little while and learn where the places are that we can advocate if we've been given privilege or agency to do so. And also just uh, in uh, allowing people to enrich our lives with their stories and their courage and their resiliency and the, the way they've overcome so many obstacles in life because we can all stand to have our hope and our faith encouraged right now. And, uh, and I think that Lisa brings a really strong message in this area. I encourage you to follow her um, and the work that she's doing through Missio Alliance. This is an incredible organization that I've been following for many years and just uh, the work that they do is amazing and she's really bringing a lot of leadership to the table and we'll take it in some really great directions as well. So I encourage you to follow Missio Alliance and the, the, the things that they're putting out there for us to think through and, and the invitation toward action that they um, are encouraging us in. And uh, tune in next week because we are going to have another incredible guest, um, my friend, and also the the brother of my good friend, um, Chris Kennison. He is an immigration lawyer here in the United States, and he's going to speak to us about just the law and uh, how things are going in terms of that side of things here in the United States and the, the work that he does on behalf of immigrants coming into the United States and representing them as a lawyer. You're going to be really encouraged by both his heart and also the knowledge that he has and just the first-hand information of what it's really like to be in the courtroom advocating for different immigrants who are just trying to um, get a fair hearing on their case, especially in the asylum cases that he's dealt with. And um, you're not going to want to miss that. So turn, tune in next week to hear Chris Kennison talk about immigration law and, uh, and all the information we can learn from from what's going on in the United States right now. But he'll also bring a perspective of having grown up in Thailand and spent some time also in Cambodia. And so you will not want to miss those stories um, and how they formed his heart and his passion for what he does today. So tune in next week for Chris Kennison and have a great week, guys. This podcast is dedicated to my friend Lisa Hoff. As I'm sending this podcast out to the world today, I just found out this morning that she passed away and uh, just a sudden illness after a surgery that she had. And um, she was just the kind of person that really just uh, brought love and light everywhere she went. She uh, had gone through countless immigration signs and countless airports. She had lived in China for many years and um, most recently was living and teaching in Southern California. And I just uh, wanted to dedicate this podcast to her. I know a lot of you listening are friends with Lisa. And um, even my guest on this show today, Lisa Rodriguez-Watson and Lisa Hoff and I were all getting our master's degrees at the same time. And uh, her loss will be felt all around the world today. So this podcast, Lisa, is dedicated to you and to all those who have been mentored by you and learned from your life and your example of what it means to love our neighbors all around the world well. And um, you are certainly the kind of person who received immigrants well wherever you lived and taught us how to do that um, with your own life, both with your brain and how you learned uh, some really deep uh, lessons throughout your life, but also the way you just 
dug in as a scholar into many areas of intercultural work and then also just put that into practice by your kindness. And so this, this is dedicated to Lisa Hoff and our prayers are, are certainly with her family and all of her friends tonight.